0: You don't really suppose, do you, that all of your adventures and escapes were managed by mere luck, just for your sole benefit. You are a very fine person, Mr. Baggins, and I am very fond of you, but you are only quite a little fellow in a wide world, after all.
1: Hello! You're listening to Watch Party, Lord of the Rings on Prime, the show where we discuss all things Tolkien in anticipation of Amazon's big-budget adaptation of The Legendarium. Our Twitter handle is at lotrparty and our email is watchparty at lotr at gmail.com. If you like what we're doing here, please subscribe, rate us, and share a link on your social media. That helps other people discover our content. Please make welcome my co-host, Michael Rowland, a.k.a. Bilbo Baggins himself.
0: <laughs> uh, and with me today is my co-host, Jen Gallagher, a.k.a belladonna took my mother
1: (laughs) bilbo you wee bilbo tell us what we're doing today Uh, on the podcast
0: my mom always showing up when she's not wanted (laughs) Ouch! this week we're continuing our conversation and review of the 1977 rankin bass animated adaptation of the hobbit When we finished our last episode, Bilbo had just won the riddling game to escape from the slimy clutches of Gollum and reconnected with Thorin and company on the eastern slopes of the Misty Mountains. But as you'll soon hear, our brave travelers are not quite out of danger for long and soon find themselves in another sticky situation. Uh, Well, when Bilbo makes his way out of the cave, he escapes from... From Gollum's Lair, he regroups with the dwarves and engages in a serious, humble brag about the art of burgling because they're curious, how did you get out? How did you get past the goblins? And he says, oh, well, it's really all about the art of being unobtrusive. And, uh, you know, he, of course, does not tell them about the ring. He lets them think it's all him and his amazing burglaring skills. Uh, but Gandalf senses that Bilbo has not told all. And he says, Quote, your story, Bilbo, has the ring of truth. Yes, it rings true. You need say no more. Basically, winking at Bilbo. Um, This is an important change from the book. Of course, Gandalf does not know about the ring at this point, Um, but they make this change for a reason. I I have a guess why they made this change, but we'll talk about that later. So at this point, knowing that they are not yet safe from the goblins, the group sets out again to try and make distance from the mountains. However, at nightfall, they are beset by goblins riding wargs, which are talking wolves, although we never see them talk. And the goblins, writing works, chase them up into the trees. We the get tentative. our
1: fun theme song again.
0: Yes, yes. Fifteen birds in five fir trees. Fifteen birds in five fir trees. Their feathers were fanned in a fiery breeze. I oh, love this song too. Uh, <laughs> Gandalf, and so they all scurry up the trees to try and get away gandalf grabs a pine cone throws it down and it seems to explode which scatters them for uh, you know about half a second but then all the goblins come back and set fire to the tree so now all the the dwarves and bilbo and gandalf they're in these trees that are on fire it doesn't seem like they have much hope in that moment gandalf raises his hands to the sky and lo and behold there's a bunch of eagles that just swoop in and pick them all up and carry them off the eagles carry them straight to the edge of Morkwood forest uh, Gandalf and the Lord of the Eagles have a brief exchange where Gandalf thanks the Lord of the Eagles. And the Lord of the Eagles says, well, I haven't forgotten you. You once healed me from from an arrow. Um, and then the Eagles peace out. And that's the end of the scene. It's Even though it's uh, a bit longer in the book, this happens very, very quickly in the movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very quick exchange. Um, and we don't really get, in the book, the eagles kind of take care of them for a little bit. They feed them. It's hospitality, even though it's like rough hospitality. And uh, we kind of get a glimpse into the eagles' world a bit, which is it's just really interesting. They're interesting characters. But um, but they, they definitely cut this scene pretty short. Uh, in the in the book, it's also a much more of a to-do. They're, they're in the trees. They're panicked. What are we going to do? They're taunting them down below the wargs and the goblins. And all that, all that stuff. Uh, yeah. It's, it's the, pretty there's quick. A,
0: there's a. It actually starts with there's a meeting of the wargs. You know, they they hear the howl of the wolves, and so then they all scurry up in the trees, and and the wargs come, and it's just the wargs, just the wolves, no, no no goblins yet, and they smell something's wrong, so they're sniffing around, and and then they actually are having a warg meeting. So that's why all the wargs were there. It was by chance. They have like I don't know their annual board meeting or something in this clearing. <laughs> 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 and, um and then then the goblins who then the goblins show up. so there's this whole other pretense in the book about you know how the orgs and the goblins meet up., uh, they do away with all that. They make it really simple. Goblins and wargs show up ready to to murder, you know, they've been tracking you, we found you, we're gonna kill you. and I actually like that change. It simplifies it. I don't think that the all the other stuff, although it's fun to read in the books, I don't think it does a lot. I don't think it's necessary to depict it. So I think that was a change that kind of simplified it. And it made a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And um, the Eagles are—they're significant and they're not like they—they're important. That that they yeah they rescue them and they they always show up just at the last second uh, throughout the series. But um, <laughs> the Eagles, as we know, they kind of answer to no one. Like they don't—they're not real involved in the in the comings and goings of Middle Earth. They only appear when it's totally when they see fit. Um, so I think this kind of worked, you know, just a quick, like, okay, we rescued you. We did our duty, you know, to repay Gandalf. We really only care about Gandalf. And then they, they fly away and do their thing. Yeah. Um, which brings us to the next chapter, the next scene, which is, uh, well, flies and before we do
0: that, I want to give you my theory about,
1: oh, go ahead. Yes.
0: Gandalf and his wink to Bilbo. So as I mentioned in the book, Gandalf didn't know about the ring, you know, and he, Certainly had no concept at that moment that it was the Ring of Power or anything like that. Um, right. You know, he he discovers it with the rest of the dwarves when Bilbo fills them in. I think they changed it because this movie was released in 1977. So this is after The Lord of the Rings was released in the 50s. Um, ah. So everybody who's watching this now knows about The Lord of the Rings. They know what the ring is, that it's the one ring. Um, and so I think... When adapting it, they wanted to do more to connect the Hobbit to the Lord of the Rings, do a wink and a nod, and to try and tie it together. I don't think they needed to do that, but they wanted to acknowledge the fact that the ring was a more significant artifact. Um, whereas in the original Hobbit, there's there's no reason to think that the ring is going to become this central plot device in future books. So I, I think that because of the timing of when this was released, you know, so long after the Lord of the Rings was already had been released and was famous they wanted to connect the viewer to this plot line from the Lord of the Rings books that they would be aware of.
1: Yeah, that makes total sense. And I know that after, you know, after the Lord of the Rings was written and as Tolkien was thinking about all this, he went back and changed some things from from The Hobbit, from his original script, um, just in lieu of the fact that, oh, this ring actually plays such a significant role. I'm going to change a couple things. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think that makes sense that they would want to highlight um that gandalf knows something
0: yep yep all right so where are the dwarves going now
1: so the dwarves end up at the edge of mirkwood and gandalf tells them to follow the path and not to stray or they will never make it out of mirkwood so don't stray off the path um and then gandalf leaves the group saying he has pressing business in the south we don't know what this is um, the dwarves beg him to stay, but Gandalf assures them, "I am sending Mister Baggins with you. That should and be enough." Like, oh, the, great! Yeah, <laughs> and the dwarves are like, "What?" Bilbo. Well, even Bilbo's skeptical. Bilbo's like, "What?" Yeah, what? I'm not a, I'm not a wizard. Um, but Gandalf, you know, is is expressing confident his full confidence in Bilbo. We get more of the greatest adventure motif, you know, uh, song in the background, and Gandalf gives Bilbo a. Um, some paper to log the rest of his journey. And this is a funny line from the movie. That's definitely not in the books. He wants to give him a log so that he may study it and point out your missteps um, <laughs> afterwards, which I thought was just like a really funny change. I don't really, I think it's totally unnecessary. I don't really understand this change at all. Um, but
0: it is still consistent with Gandalf's, you know, sort of what is what sense of humor,
1: really sense of humor, perhaps Um, but we get, you know, another far out tune as the hobbits make their way through Mirkwood. Uh, so they're, they're kind of, they're wandering through this creepy forest and they're, they're a little disoriented in the, in the film. So Bilbo climbs to the top of a tree to get oriented and wonders, um, he sees this beautiful scene of the tops of the trees and butterflies flying all around. And he wonders to himself, like, do I even want to see my hobbit hole again? Um, because the sight of these butterflies and, and the view is so lovely. Uh, But shortly after, they run into trouble. So Bilbo's companions are captured by spiders, giant spiders. And um, Bilbo slips on the ring and bravely fights the spiders... And he rescues the dwarves. And this is where I think we see a turn. Like some kind of switch really flips in Bilbo. And he tells the dwarves to run on ahead while he fights off the spiders. So he slips on the ring and he's fighting off the spiders with sting. We get a lot of trippy sound effects and visual psychedelic colors. Uh, This is kind of peak 70s uh, filmmaking here. But he he fights the spiders and they're able to uh, get out of Mirkwood. So um, I think so some changes. There's actually there's a lot of changes.
0: Yeah, I have thoughts. Uh, I have lots of thoughts.
1: Okay, Michael. <laughs> dive into your thoughts and I'll
0: Okay. Thought number one. What the hell is the point of this whole framing device of having Gandalf say, Okay, Bilbo, now that we're halfway through the story, please keep a log. And then yeah. we'll here through the rest of the movie, instead of just hearing Bilbo's inner monologue, we're hearing his monologue as he is writing it to gandalf what is the point of that change? that was
1: really confusing to me to shake up uh the narration form halfway through i also don't know like again could it be oh we got to shake things up because kids can't pay attention this long question mark which is not true um totally totally unnecessary change i I don't have an answer for you
0: if you're trying to engage children is the best way to do that by having your main character Uh, narrate his letters to somebody else that's not like a very engaging uh, uh, way of storytelling and if if you're going to do that why not do it from the beginning it makes no sense to switch it up halfway through the story
1: it makes no sense it's almost like another another script writer took over I mean if this was a co-project the other the other author was like okay I'll jump in from here I'll take it from here I don't know I have no answer for you. They also left out tons of tons of scenes with the wood elves. So the wood mm-hmm. elves in the book, the wood elves are hunting in this scene in Merkwood, and the dwarves continually see their fires. They try to approach them, and they disappear mysteriously.
0: Um, yeah, every time so that we, one of the dwarves steps into the circle, all the lights are extinguished as if by magic, and the elves just went, poof are gone. It's like and it poof, happens multiple disappear. times. It's amazing. Yeah,
1: Yeah. so we don't get any of that, um, I, and I understand that. I actually don't think that's totally essential, and so I understand doing away with that. And I, they did include the spiders and Bilbo fighting off the spiders, which I think is important. That is when when we sort of see our little Bilbo become more of a hero mm-hmm. figure. So they did incorporate that, which I think is... is uh, so they preserved what I think is the uh, most important part of this chapter.
0: Yeah, because that's far more important in terms of Bilbo's journey and his growth. I mean, there's an important moment in this, um, in this sequence, in the books, and it is reflected in the movies, although to a lesser degree than I would have liked, but when he kills a spider for the first time and he does it all on his own, no dwarves, no wizard to help him. It's just him and the spider and he manages to survive that encounter. And after that, you know, he he feels a little braver. He feels a little more courageous, a little more self-reliant. Like I can do this. You know, it's kind of an important moment where, um, he starts to find his courage and, uh, they do show that a little yeah. bit? And yeah, I, you know, the stuff with the wood elves, I, I hate that it's omitted because elves are like the best part of the legendarium and all those encounters with the wood elves. Those are the parts that tell you that they're magical, right? Mm-hmm. All those descriptions of, you know, the, the lights going out as if by magic, um, Uh, Thorin and uh, Bilbo, like they get struck dumb and they're like asleep, you know, because they entered the magic of the elves knocks them out. Right. Um, You know, that's how you know that the elves are magical, but that's really not that critical to Bilbo's story and his journey. So even though I hate losing that because I love the elves, um, I think you're probably right. It is something that didn't hurt too much to lose. Although I think they originally scripted a scene Uh, with with that stuff in there and then cut it at the last minute really yeah so if you if you watch it closely so when the dwarves are running from the spiders bilbo says you know go back to the wood elves clearing or something like that i mean he refers to the, the wood elves as if they had encountered them before but of course in the movie they hadn't so i think that they had actually scripted those scenes and then cut them but then didn't change the later scenes to remove the reference. Um, And it also happens again when the wood elves capture the dwarves. So, you know, Bilbo has fought off the spiders and then he goes back to meet the dwarves. And then he sees the dwarves are being captured by the elves. And Bilbo says, the wood elves are back, but this time, you know, dressed for battle. So again, the way he says that, it indicates that he had seen them earlier, had an encounter with them earlier but they cut that scene. So this is actually the first time we're seeing the elves, even though Bilbo's acting like they'd encountered them earlier. So I, I think they had a right. scripted. scripted.
1: And in the book, it's, it's important to have them because when they're brought to the Elf King, they're captured by the elves, and they're brought to the Elf King. The Elf King's like, why are you harassing my, my elves in the book? And they're like, we weren't harassing them, but we don't, it, we can't have that in the movie because we didn't get the wood elves hunting. So it kind of it's a little disjointed now. Um, because of that change, I do understand why they made that change again, but, um, but there's one
0: really nice scene that they, I'm so glad they kept it in there. There are these little moments that are unassuming at first, but that I think are kind of the tent poles of the story in terms of Bilbo's growth. Um, you know, they don't seem in terms of the plot to be important, but they're really important to Bilbo. And it's the moment when, you know, they're walking through Mirkwood, they're getting tired. And at some point, they need someone to climb up to a tree and see where where they are and orient themselves. Mm -hmm. And he climbs up; he's the one because he's the smallest. So he climbs up and he pokes his head out and he sees the sun and the fresh air and all these beautiful butterflies and this beautiful scenery. And he is just really struck by it. And um, you know, that's a moment when he starts to wonder to himself, maybe I don't want to go home. You know, even though they've been through all these challenges and these adventures and all this danger. And he just climbed up out of Mirkwood where they're like literally starving. And yet he, he has this moment where he's looking out in the sun and he says, you know, I'm afraid I don't want to go home that I never want to be the little Hobbit that I was uh, before. And so that is, I think an important moment for Bilbo um, even if it's just fleeting.
1: Yeah. We really get to see his evolution in this chapter um, from this this little hobbit to somebody who is leading the way and gandalf trusted him to do that and that's damn it that's what he does in this scene <laughs> so i i think overall you know i don't have huge huge complaints about this doesn't bother yeah. me that much these changes
0: now they're in the custody of the wood elves and um you know i have to say all these wood elves basically look like et in a robin hood costume <laughs> the art on these elves is so bizarre. They're uh, we'll green. Back to that. It's, it's so so bizarre. They have this gray-green skin. they're gangly, they're not at all beautiful uh, by any measure. They look evil. They look like evil characters. you know they're not depicted as being beautiful, good characters. It's really bizarre. but um, the elves take the dwarves back to the elf king. Bilbo puts on his ring, so the elves don't know he's there, and Bilbo follows them in secret. Uh, When they're brought before the Elf King, he asks why they were traveling through the forest, to which Thorin replies, basically, you know, go pound sand, it's none of your business, and the Elf King throws them in jail. Um, And Bilbo reflects on himself, oh, this is absurd, there's enough treasure in the mountain for everyone, why can't we trust the elves, they'd be valuable allies? But of course, that's not the way Thorin thinks about things, Uh, he's a little more proud, doesn't trust the elves at all, so he does not reveal anything about their mission. Now, Bilbo, who's still wearing the ring, roams the palace for weeks, searching for an escape. He finally discovers that a river is flowing under the caves, which the elves use to deliver barrels of wine from the men from Long Lake. Now, apparently, the elves uh, are real luscious. They like to throw them back, and the guards get totally sauced, pass out. Bilbo steals the keys from a sleeping guard, and he frees all the dwarves. Um, we don't see it, but we know that he stuffs them in uh, empty wine barrels, and they float away down the river while Bilbo is riding on top of the barrels. So he's the barrel rider, and actually um, in the the chap name of the chapter in the book is Barrels Out of Bond. Um, as he's riding the barrels down the river, he sees the lonely mountain rising ominously in the distance, and he thinks to himself, quote, I'd come far and through many adventures to see it, and now I do not I did not like the look of it at all. So, you know, even though he's almost there, it it should be a moment, you know, where your destination is in view when you're excited. I'm almost there. But he has the opposite reaction because he knows that the Lonely Mountain pretends danger and death because smog is still there and he still has smog to contend with. So um, it's it's just another one of those beautiful ways in which Tolkien sort of subverts narrative expectations um, and they keep that in the movie, which I like.
1: I do... I like that they kept that. They did cut this scene so short. I mean, in the book, it's so much longer. Like, Bilbo actually hangs out in the elven kingdom with the ring on invisible for a long time until he can devise a plan about how to rescue these dwarves. How am I going to do it? And he observes uh, their behavior and he waits till there's a big party going down until he's got the perfect moment and then steals the keys and, and rescues them. Uh, but this takes a lot of time. And we also, I really miss the the exchange with the, all the elves in the, you know, down drinking together and, and talking and conversing um so they this is a pretty quick scene in the movie and uh they basically just wanted to get get the show on the road and get them out of there
0: yeah did not want to linger on the elves for very long apparently <laughs> the creators of this movie just not once again the elves i you know i don't get it elves are awesome um but uh you know we're getting a bizarre version of elves and also why was elrond uh basically a normal british guy and the wood elves were like creepy et figures you know, they're all elves.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Let's get some consistency. Different
1: here. animators? I don't know. Yeah, there's there's yeah. kind of a lack of cohesion. I think the visual aspects of this film are not are not my favorite part of this film. Like, we do get some really nice stills. There are some stills that are very beautiful and and uh, some paintings that are very beautiful. But um, we know that there was animation out at this time that was much more advanced. Like, this is mm-hmm. a little bit choppy as far as a visual interpretation. Um just my two cents,
0: yeah, no, I totally agree and I, I think that they were um working with so I know that they were working with some Japanese animators, and of course this is the seventies, so um you know cultures are not you know there's no internet cultures aren't as uh frequently shared, so I wonder if that had something to do with uh maybe those Japanese animators weren't um as familiar with the tolkien art i you know I'm just speculating here, although I mean there's frankly there's no reason why the Japanese animators wouldn't have. Um, been familiar with it. I think it might've just been a decision to root the appearance of the characters into more traditional, conventional fantasy depictions. You know, all the dwarves, for example, they don't look at all like how I imagine dwarves being in the Legendarium. They are literally the dwarves from Snow White. That's exactly how they look.
1: (laughs) They are, yeah.
0: You know? Exactly.
1: They're kind of goofy looking. And and Bilbo Hobbits are so goofy looking. Just... Yeah. So visually, this is not my favorite uh, adaptation that we have, but I digress. Um, The next section is a warm welcome. So the dwarves in Bilbo reach Lake Town, which is the small town in the shadow of Smog's Mountain. Thorin, uh, is released from the barrel and immediately introduced himself. And the men of Lake Town sing a welcome song, um, which the welcome song is actually a, an old fable that they've been singing, which foretold the return of the king under the mountain. So they think that this return has been long foretold the return of the dwarves and, um, Dale, who is the archer protector of the town wishes them well on their quest to slay the dragon in the town square and bilbo narrates that they were fed fattened and given supplies and that two weeks later they set out once again for the treasure so this is a very brief scene we see the town um depicted it's just a small uh kind of coastal town surrounded by water uh very basic medieval structure and um that's that's pretty much it for this scene before they're sent on their merry way to get uh to the mountain
0: yeah about 30 seconds is all we get of lake town uh they they don't want to tell us much about bard before um his starring role later in the film
1: (laughs) yeah exactly and um that makes sense as well it's it's really not central in the in the book either it's, it's not a very long scene. We, don't, we yeah, get a little bit of, of Lake Town, but uh, mostly we want to get to the more important encounter, which is going to be um, getting you know encountering Smog.
0: Yeah, Lake Town is right basically up. just a pit stop on the way. And so now the our company is uh, fully outfitted and they're making their way up the mountain. And the first thing the company notices when they get to the mountain is that Smog is a smelly bastard. He reeks. It smells everywhere. (laughs) For some reason, I don't don't remember if that's in the book, but they really make a point to (laughs) say that smog is smelly. Uh,
1: They spend several
0: days searching the mountain for the door, but uh, with no luck. Now, while the group is resting on an outcropping, Bilbo writes an entry in his dear old diary to Gandalf. And while he's doing that, he notices a thrush cracking snails. uh, And he notices that with annoyance. But then he remembers the message in the map, quote, stand by the gray stone when the thrush knocks and the last light of the setting sun will shine upon the keyhole. And at that moment, a ray of sunshine reveals the keyhole. So Bilbo, who's the only one who's paying attention, uh, wakes everyone up and says, hey, look at the keyhole. And they all just kind of stare dumbly at it. and don't do anything. And Bilbo says, well, Thorin, put your key in quick before it disappears. And uh, the door opens and all of a sudden they have their way into the mountain. If they have the courage to enter
1: i think this is a really significant scene and portion of the book in that we really see bilbo's investment in this journey like this isn't even his quest initially you know what i mean he's just along for the ride he's kind of been he's kind of been thrust into this thing but he's paying attention Closely, we see that here, and he is the very reason that they're able to even get into the mountain to reclaim their treasure. So, another pivotal moment in Bilbo's journey. And
0: yeah, he is really becoming telling the leader,
1: them. he is becoming the leader at this point. He's become the leader, he's become the hero of this tale that he was always meant to be.
0: Yeah, because all the other dwarves are you know, they don't figure out where the keyhole is, they're not paying attention, and um, you know, honestly, I. I don't love, even in the book, how um, hapless and foolish the dwarves oftentimes are depicted. Um, they really are kind of, uh, I don't know, useless characters a lot of times. <laughs> but, you know, the purpose of that is to serve the narrative function of showing Bilbo's growth. You know, as it starts out, he is in, he is uh, just the follower, but then he, as he grows in, in courage and bravery and confidence... Um, His cleverness comes out and he ends up becoming someone that all the dwarves look to, to put together a plan uh, to get them out of a jam or to get them to the next spot. And, um, you know, this is just a small example of that, but it is an important example because if they couldn't get into the mountain, they wouldn't be able to find smog at all.
1: All right. Well, once inside the mountain, it's Bilbo's time to shine. So I'm going to talk about the chapter that's called Inside Information. Um, And the scene in the movie is quite exciting. And the chapter in the book is absolutely wonderful. So Bilbo is reluctant to go inside the mountain. His time has come, um, but none of the dwarves volunteer to help him out. But he's determined, you know, he keeps to his contract and he's, he, he goes it, alone and um his inside voice his inner monologue begins to sow doubt in the movie but thankfully we get another sweet sweet taste of our wonderful theme song to measure the meaning will make you delay Oh, i could just go to
0: sleep to the sound of that song
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Those dulcet tones, um, but this song kind of spurns him on and encourages him, and his inner voice is urging him uh, to go on, to keep going. Here is where you fight your real battle. Um, his inner voice is, is is his rallying cry. So he encounters the sleeping dragon at last, um, at the end of this this tunnel, who awakens and greets Bilbo um, in a very dark uh, low gravelly voice well thief I smell you um, Bilbo has slipped on the ring to avoid the dragon's gaze and responds to the dragon saying he's only there to observe the dragon and see if he was as great as the tales describe so throughout this scene in the movie and the book Bilbo is flattering this dragon and the dragon is just absolutely eating it up the dragon is very proud um and He's very, uh, he's very susceptible to flattery. Flattery will get you anywhere with a dragon. Um, so Bilbo, the dragon cannot identify Bilbo. He doesn't recognize his smell. And Bilbo riddles to the dragon to stall for time. Instead of revealing his identity, he will not identify himself. And he's, he's riddling, uh, very cleverly to the dragon. Uh, but through his riddles, he he makes a slip by mentioning um, barrels, which leads the dragon to guess that he is a man from Lake Town.
0: Getting a little too confident with his uh, cleverness, Bilbo is, you know.
1: Exactly, he gets pretty cocky because he's 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 spouting off all these clever riddles. You know, I am the I am the Barrel Rider. All these different things, and. Um, the dragon guesses Lake Town, which was a pretty fatal error for the men of Lake Town because, as we know, Smog attacks Lake Town uh, subsequently because of this conversation. Um, so Smog it grows angry and shows off his prowess after being. Um, heckled by bilbo for a while and he says you know i am strong my teeth are like swords my wings are a hurricane so we know this this dragon is proud he's he's greedy um my best
0: part of his bragging is when he says my breath death death. yeah like all right we'll take a tic-tac then like
1: (laughs) yeah so this this dragon is um is very, very arrogant, but his arrogance ultimately leads to his downfall because Bilbo is able to observe a weak spot in Smaug's armor um, under his left breast during their exchange. And this is because, you know, the dragon is kind of showing off his armor and his jewels. And um, throughout this scene, you know, there's a real indictment on greed and pride and um, the hoarding of gold and uh, Bilbo ultimately says, you know, I, 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 I must not detain you any longer. And he mentions um, accidentally that he is a burglar, which also enrages Smog, And he breathes fire on Bilbo, who runs for the exit quickly and manages to snag a gold cup from the treasure hoard. And he... Arrives outside the tunnel and begs the dwarves to extinguish his backside. Extinguish uh, me! Extinguish me! And so the dwarves extinguish him uh, yes, pretty comically. Good old
0: Bilbo. Thank you, but I'd appreciate a more pragmatic
1: salute. In other words, Extinguish me! End scene. So this, this was a good scene. So In the, good. In the book, it is just so chock full of uh, gold, literally and figuratively. <laughs> Ooh, um, good one. I think that they did a good job characterizing Smaug. You know, he he does look rather cat like, as pe- people always mention that he looks like a cat in this <laughs> scene. Um, but I think that they they missed a few crucial things. But uh, they got the main the main ideas here. Yeah, I,
0: I love this scene. It's it's one of my so this is probably uh, up there with Riddles in the Dark in terms of the scenes that they did right in this adaptation. It's it's right up there, probably neck and neck. Um, I like I sometimes have Googled the scenes on YouTube for this scene and Riddles in the Dark just to watch them because they are done so well. I mean, they're really really good, um, and yeah, they really absolutely. do pull a lot of stuff. Straight from from the book, which I really really like. I mean, the dialogue is great. the The vocal performance uh, by uh, Robert Boone, uh, or excuse me, Richard Boone, is is really fantastic. I mean, he does a great job. So I, you know, I I just had to interrupt and say I love this scene because um, Smog is so awesome.
1: Yeah, Smog is Smog is awesome, and um, this scene is really a turning point in Bilbo's g- uh, character you can see in this you really get in this scene um, a change in him he's very quick on his feet he's his self-image even has changed in the way that he's describing himself to the dragon you know he's using he's using very grandiose adjectives to describe himself and uh, he and he also shows shows such bravery I mean this isn't the little. Uh, swooning hobbit that we met in the beginning, um, and he also is is characteristically of hobbits not swayed at all by the treasure. Um, mm. He's not he's not enamored with the treasure, even the way that the dwarves are. He really is there to do his job, and he really only takes the um, the token just to show the dwarves the cup. And so I think that the way that Bilbo's character shows through in this scene is is really important. Um, so this yeah, scene. I, I
0: agree. I mean, I, and I love so starting at the beginning before he even gets to smog as he's walking through the passageway, I mean, you brought this up, he has a moment of self-doubt and where he actually consciously, I mean, he's racked with fear, he is so afraid. And he in his own mind, he says, this is, He basically says, this is the moment. If I can get past this, this is the real battle, the true test. Everything I do after this is is really secondary to this moment where he's overcoming his own fear. And and he does. And he continues walking down the passageway knowing that smog, which is really, I mean, a, a creature synonymous with instant death. I mean, what is a hobbit supposed to do in the face of smog? He knows that smog is waiting for him at the end of that tunnel. But he continues moving on. And that is... This is really the high point for Bilbo in the entire book, in terms of his courage, his development as a character. I mean, he has other good moments uh, later on, but this is where he he really becomes um, truly self assured and 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 becomes the courageous Bilbo
1: and brave. Yeah. From the book, it says it was at this point that Bilbo stopped. Going on from there was the bravest thing he ever did. The tremendous things that happened afterward were as nothing compared to it. He fought the real battle in the tunnel alone before he ever saw the vast danger that lay in wait. And ain't that the truth? We fight the hardest battles alone yeah. and also it's always the anticipation is always worse than the actual battle so i just i love i love that um description in the book and i think they did a pretty good job of portraying that in the movie with our yeah because a fun little theme song
0: that's something that i think uh, a hollywood person who wasn't really paying attention to to the really important themes in the book they could easily have cut out they could have just said oh let's just get past this and, and get to the part with smog uh, and skipped over the, but that they kept that in and they actually really highlighted it so I'm so glad that they kept that in they did a really good job you know recognizing that as a, a key moment and I, you know I also want to pause and just reflect on the fact that that is uh, something that Tolkien does a lot in Lord of the Rings as well uh, where the true battle the true test is not uh, some sort of clash of swords it's you know he doesn't spend a time describing uh, actual battles I mean he does sometimes do that but The real moments of bravery are, you know, in contests of wills, sometimes with another individual, sometimes with yourself. And Tolkien always highlighted those battles, the the true inner struggles, rather than uh, focusing on, you know, magical spells and who's stronger and, you know, pew, pew, pew. Tolkien never focuses on that stuff. He he always focuses on the inner battle. And um, this scene is a perfect, uh, is emblematic of that. And they kept it in the movie, which I'm so happy about.
1: Yeah, uh, that's such a good point. And I love the quote, you know, bravery is not the absence of fear. Like, he's still clearly afraid, but goes on, does his duty, um, fights that battle. And so this is, yeah, this is a great scene. And I love the way that his riddles have evolved as well. Like, we even see the riddling evolve from the scene Riddles in the Dark with Gollum to now he's in this uh, cave with Smog. this this giant intimidating fierce dragon and yet he's confident and he's self-assured and he's uh spouting off very clever riddles you know yeah, I he's, am...
0: he's way too confident I mean you know I get it Bilbo you killed some spiders yeah you helped your boys escape from from the clutches of the elfin king but this is a dragon maybe uh you know you know temper your
1: <laughs> maybe tone <laughs> your it down curse. a little well yeah, the question is, bit. Michael, is he under the dragon spell? So in Tolkien's wider legendarium, uh, dragons have, you know, a, uh, an effect on people. There's the dragon sickness mm. is what he refers to it as, where the, you begin to even see things through, through the dragon's perspective. Um, not mm. only do you take on some of his characteristics, such as greed, pride, um, division, things like that, um, these have a profound effect impact on people who are exposed to dragons and so the fact that bilbo is somewhat resisting that is an indicative of his strength of character and strength of mind but perhaps his slip in you know in mentioning and getting too cocky is because he is falling under a, a hint of the dragon sickness just speculation
0: that is such a good catch because in in the book it talks about you know uh, smog's gaze you know he's canvassing the cave because he can't see bilbo because he has the ring on um, but he hears his voice so his, his eyes are looking around and his eyes sort of emit their own light um, their own inner light which is another visual theme that tolkien uses often you know things of power have their own inner light you know you talk about the silmarils the arkenstone and smog he's a powerful creature and his eyes sort of have that quality too but um I think Bilbo does mention that. I'd have to find the passage. But in the book, at least, he mentions that, or maybe the author mentions, that perhaps Bilbo was he was feeling almost compelled to divulge more information. He wanted to keep talking, and he had to restrain himself. And that is, that's stated in the book. And it's not stated explicitly in the movie, but they do depict Smog's eyes being kind of like flashlights and moving around. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they do that's show right. Bilbo... Being maybe a little too devil may care, a little too reckless, um, you know, having a little bit too much fun with the riddles, and that could, you know, this is a good catch. I didn't think about that, but that could have been uh, in the movie their way of, you know, the way they depicted him being overly confident in doing that. That could have been the effect of the the, the dragon, not not necessarily dragon sickness, but smog's power over people and the way he compels people. And so that's a really good catch. And I I hadn't thought of that, but I think that could be the case.
1: Right. And we know that um, the dwarves, we see them later, that they're a lot more um, treasure obsessed than Bilbo ever is. Bilbo, really, even as he, throughout this scene and earlier, throughout the whole book, even he's saying, I have no use for riches and gold. Like he, it's clear that Bilbo values the small comforts of life so much more than hoarded treasure. And that's what, one of the primary things that I think makes him so um, compelling as a hero. And in fact, that plays into the larger uh, Lord of the Rings story when we get Frodo is chosen as the ring bearer because Gandalf and, and the and the council know that this, this ring will not be able to exert the same power. Like, hobbits are not as... Um, they're not as susceptible for whatever reason to mm-hmm. um, hardy, greed steadfast. and power and yeah. corruption, um, which makes them really remarkable.
0: So can we talk for a second about the design choices for Smog? how they drew him? I mean, he's a cat, he's a giant feline.
1: Yeah, he is very cat-like. <laughs> I mean,
0: I, and I gotta tell you, I, I love it. So I mean, when I was a kid and I, I saw this, I, I totally bought it. I did not blink an eye. I didn't think for a second that dragons are supposed to be scaly and lizard-like. I just thought this is how dragons are in Tolkien's Legendarium. And they have I thought whiskers. It was, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, they have whiskers. They have nice little scratching posts in the corner, you know. Yeah. Uh, they're eating They're eating fancy feasts. I mean, Smog is clearly a <laughs> fancy cat. He's lying on a litter box filled with gold.
1: Um, yeah, he's but, not really... We don't get, like, the charming, slick, scaly dragon that you picture from the... From the book, he's Smog is also clever and somewhat charming, you know, uh, and highly intelligent. And, and I think that is a bit of a difference here.
0: Right. Yeah. In the book, it's, you know, sort of subliminal, but, you know, there is a connection to the sort of snake in the Garden of Eden type of thing. I mean, obviously, Tolkien is a, a devout Catholic. And I don't think he's explicitly referencing the Garden of Eden story and the 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 charming snake, you know, who is the the devil that's uh, obviously um, perverting and manipulating Adam and Eve. But he does so because he's very manipulative and charming and powerful. Uh, I don't think he's explicitly referencing that. But Tolkien is, of course, you know, comes from this background. I think that in some ways it undergirds everything that he does. And so you can see in the book, I mean, yeah, this is a, a dragon. He's a scaly lizard and he has sort of some of those same qualities that you see in the snake in the garden of eden so i don't know that it was intentional but you can see that link in that i'm sure tolkien it was intentional
1: in part because i i don't i i don't remember which book in the bible. i think it was revelation i will fact check myself next week but um there was a book of the bible yeah it had to be revelation that tolkien actually helped translate um is that right and it contained a passage about the Leviathan Amazing. and, Levi- and the Leviathan is pretty dragon. Like I'm going to, I'll mention this all in the fact check next time, something like that. But yes, we know. And also not to mention dragons are super important in the medieval literature that uh, Tolkien studied. So he, he was really familiar with the way that dragons have been portrayed throughout history. And he actually now mm-hmm. has contributed so much to that portrayal in, uh, in the fantasy world now at large.
0: That's that's awesome. That's fascinating stuff. But you know, here Rankin Bass putting their own stamp on it, their own contribution. Dragons uh, are Meow. cats with mohawks. I mean, is it when <laughs> Smog flies around, that mohawk is flowing in the wind. I mean, yeah,
1: he's kind of silly looking. He's not really scary. Like in the book, it, in the book, he's he's kind of he's slick and also he's supposed to be scary. He's intimidating. I th- I th-
0: okay. When I was a kid, I thought this Smog was scary. I yeah, did that's not want to. That's fair. Oh, I also don't like cats. I, I find normal house cats kind of scary, so maybe that's contributing to how I'm uh, interacting with this cat-like smog.
1: Yeah. But, uh, well, we know we certainly know he has a bad temper, and most cats have a bad temper. And um, from the book, I have to read this passage because I love this. I love this passage. His rage. So basically, Smog discovers the cup is missing, right, and is mm-hmm. pissed about it. Um, so from the book, his rage passes description, the sort of rage that is only seen when rich folk that have more than they can enjoy suddenly lose something that they have long had but have never before used or wanted. I, I just love, love this indictment on <sighs> greed and materialism. And this is so Tolkien here. This whole passage uh, from, from the book is very, very Tolkien. Um, everything from the language uh, to the depiction of the dragon so one of one of my favorite um, one of my favorite passages, and and the scene the scene works for me. They 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 kind of left out his rage over the uh, stealing of the cup and that kind of thing, but it it works for me.
0: Yeah, it totally works for me as well. And you know, one small change we, we should mention is you know in the book, Bilbo goes into uh, Smog's horde and steals the cup and leaves first, and then waits a little while. Smog this you know, realizes the cup is missing. He you know, roams around, eats the ponies, um, you know, Bilbo and the dwarves actually escape inside the tunnel and hide out while Smog's flying around, then Smog comes back, and then Bilbo has to go back a second time. So they in the movie they make the choice, and I think it's a very logical one, to just compress it all into one visit. Um I I, which I don't mind. I yeah, I don't mind that choice at all. You know, from a narrative point of view, it doesn't really uh, lose anything and it makes a lot of sense to have it just the first visit. I mean, frankly, you know, Bilbo walking into his lair, opening a door that hasn't been opened for 100 years or whatever, letting in fresh air. I mean, Smog probably, it makes a lot more sense for Smog to notice that the first time. It doesn't make sense for him to to stay slumbering while Bilbo, you know, picks his pocket the first time. So it it almost kind of makes even more sense. Um, So, but that, that changed um, just thought we should mention it, but I don't mind it at all. I think it's a smart move.
1: I, I do enjoy the change of asking the dwarves to extinguish him because he's on fire. That's funny. That's a funny change. I enjoy that.
0: Yeah. I don't know if the animators noticed that when Thorin was putting out bilbo's fire they're basically he's just patting him on the butt He was giving a nice giving him a nice spanking <laughs> pat down <laughs> yeah maybe maybe redraw that a little differently
1: this is so funny it's tough with this type of animation i mean it had to be so labor intensive i think about that all the time watching this like this must have taken a long time to make
0: yeah i don't have a good concept of where animation was at this time you know in if any animators
1: want to come on the show you're I mean you you know how to get in. you know where to find us. yeah
0: someone tell us if if their animation was ahead of its time way behind I mean I'm thinking of the fact that Star Wars came out in 1977 I know that's not animation but that is certainly like movie making technology sure they effects
1: effects, yeah
0: so you know I I had but you know maybe animation such a different animal and it progressed at a different pace and uh it was totally in line with what the standards were at the time I don't know
1: well irregardless um that's that's kind of where we leave off with that that exchange, that juicy exchange. Um, so Michael's going to tackle the next section.
0: Right. So ap- after Thorn has sufficiently spanked Bilbo and put out his butt fire, um, Smog, who is supremely pissed that Bilbo not only stole his cup but made fun of him on the way out, uh, issues from the mountain in a fury. And Smog burns all the mountainside with with his death breath. And the dwarves flee into the tunnel, and just in time, because uh, just as they cross the threshold, Smog destroys the entrance with his attack. And Bilbo thinks to himself; he mourns the Lakemen, Men who were almost certainly doomed. Now, Bilbo then sees the same thrush, and actually, we forgot to mention this. Uh, in inside information: there was a thrush who was hanging out with with Bilbo while he was talking to Smog, and the thrush also saw the bare spot on Smog's chest, the weakness. Um, Bilbo sees that thrush. That was such thrush.
1: a crucial piece of information. I can't believe I skipped that. My it's, an important, it's an important <laughs> plot point.
0: Um, it's Bilbo sees that thrush.
1: Important.
0: And somehow Bilbo knows the thrush is so much more than just a thrush. And he tells the thrush to fly to Lake Town and talk to Bard and tell him about Smog's weak spot. Now, meanwhile, Smog attacks Lake Town. Bard calls all the men to arms and mounts a defense, but their arrows cannot pierce the hide of the great dragon. Bard tries to rally the men and maintain their defenses, but they cannot withstand Smog's assault and they all scatter. Bard, now standing alone, prepares to fire another arrow when the thrush comes. At first, perturbed that this fool thrush is in his way, uh, he notices that the thrush can speak. The thrush lands on his shoulder and starts talking to Bard, who, although he didn't know thrushes could speak, uh, moves past his surprise pretty promptly, and uh, listens to everything he has to say. Now, the thrush tells Bard about Smog's weak spot. So, Bard grabs his mystical black arrow, forged in the forges of the king under the mountain, and passed down father to son through the generations. This mystical arrow, combined with Bard's true aim, uh, results in Smog being slain. And Smog falls into the lake. And uh, let's just stop there and, and break down this scene.
1: What I love about this is it's the war, the battle of the elements. So we're getting back to really fundamental elements here. It's fire and water. And how often do we see this theme throughout literature everywhere, really? Um, But it's, it's, you know, smog, fire bearing down on these, on these um, poor, this poor town and trying to drive them, you know, from their homes into the lake but he's overconfident and the the heroism of, of one brave soul combined with uh, this thrush this ancient thrush from old times this bird uh, who carries a message saves the town um, and I, I just actually love this scene I think it's it's so great
0: I do as well and I you know I do miss the the backstory about the thrush which is included in the book, but which they couldn't include in the movie. And, you know, I understand why they couldn't include it in the movie. It's not the type of thing that lends itself to visual depiction. But in the book, we learn that this thrush is of a race of ancient thrushes that could speak to men. And actually, the men of Lake Town learned to speak to the thrushes. So I I don't think it's that the thrushes speak English or, you know, the or common tongue um it, it's just that they they have their own language and the men of lake town and the thrushes having grown together over the years have learned to understand each other but that is all kind of ancient history and the men of lake town i think don't remember that they that they can understand um uh, but nonetheless that's the explanation for why when the thrush goes and talks to bard bard can understand um you know, this ancient language of the thrushes and, and why the thrushes can speak in the first place. We don't get any of that backstory. It's all just kind of like, Oh, the thrush talks and somehow Bilbo knows the thrush can talk. Um, and, and we're just supposed right to I mean that. I kind
1: of wish to be honest at some point I kind of wish they would have just had like just have a character from Le- what their time in Lake Town say you know explain like hey there's a pro there was a prophecy that prophesied the return of the king under the mountain because they do sing about that and they included that so I think somewhere they could have incorporated you know the ancient days and the old days the glory of Lake Town thrushes could speak we had you know they could have sure. I think they could have fitted in there and i actually think it's really important because it gets back to this tension of like what is what is fate what is destiny and foretold long ago and prophesied and what is luck so we see that um theme really come into action in this chapter um earlier you spoke about we we earlier spoke about bilbo kind of um blocking the dwarves in the tunnel before smog breathes fire down on them and we like bilbo just has this hunch that that's going to happen like how does he know that's going to happen and um he it's sort of like destiny fate pulling him um urging him to act even outside of what would be within his own free will and right yeah he has an
0: instinct that's outside of his own scope of knowledge but he just feels this compulsion he knows that he has to get the dwarves inside the mountain and so he and the dwarves kind of resist in the, in the book especially
1: exactly and so i do think this is pretty important um tying into the whole wider theme of the book
0: and you're right they totally could have just with a throwaway line like you said talking about the ancient days when thrush could talk or when you know the man of lake town spoke to the thrushes and it could, have, it could have just been a throwaway line but it would have set it up a little bit um and also you know and anim- uh, we've said this before on the show animals talking inanimate objects talking that is a huge part of the wider legendarium i mean tolkien was a philologist he loved to imagine what everything would say what would a tree say that's why he and he nets.
1: had languages whole languages for these different races
0: Right, right. So it's it's not at all inconsistent. It's actually very consistent with things we see throughout the legendarium to have a thrush that talks. It's not absurd. It's a part of the beauty and magic of the legendarium. Um, and so I think it would have made sense and I would have liked to see them just devote a couple lines to explaining that and exploring that because it is such an intimate and important part of how Tolkien envisioned this world, you know, that everything could speak. It's, it's a really beautiful part of it. I I just missed that little little piece, of, little nugget of information.
1: Yeah, this scene is pretty. It's pretty quick in the movie. It's like bloop bloop, um, over yeah, and done. They dime, kind of mostly you know.
0: skip over the lake men in general. I mean, they didn't spend much time with them when they helped them in the first place, when the dwarves first got there, and they're not spending much time with them now when Smog's you know burning all their houses to shit.
1: That's right. And you don't get the master figure at all. So in the book, there's a a master who is the leader of the town. But Mm -hmm. you do get Bard, who is, you know, the protector of the town. He he is the one who ultimately slays the dragon. Uh, P.S., in the before way back when Tolkien was going to have um, he intended to have Bilbo slay the dragon, and then he decided like that's you know that's not realistic. How would Bilbo really accomplish really? this? <laughs> um and so he re he reworked it, and we have Dale slaying the or sorry Bard. I don't know why I called him Dale. Bard slays the dragon, which I think is much more realistic with his with his black arrow.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know that. That makes a lot more sense. And yeah, the master being cut out. I mean, I guess it's okay. Cause the master doesn't play a, a not an important role, especially not in Bilbo's narrative. Um But they, they do make another change with respect to Bard in the book. It's kind of funny when they introduce Bard, he's just kind of like a grumpy crotchety guardsman that, you know, he's not given any sort of title. He's not considered like the chief of the guard necessarily. Um He's, he's kind of respected and known, but his introduction is is him being a little crotchety and the other guardsmen kind of giving him a hard time for being crotchety.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh. Which is such a realistic, I can picture that guy, you know? I love that depiction, actually. It's like a real person yeah. who's like kind of jaded. He's been at this a long time. There's probably some young strapping guys coming along who think they're all that. I Although just... also,
0: you know, by the way, <laughs> heir of the king, you know, no big deal.
1: That's right. Yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> but um, another, you know, one thing that I also like from the book and that they did keep in is the importance of the Black Arrow, you know, and the the arrow itself, just like some of the swords and other weaponry that's featured at various times throughout the Legendarium, the Black Arrow has sort of uh, a heritage, almost, you know, important figures, uh, individuals have, um, their heritage is very important, their bloodline is important, and that's sort of what... Gives them their strength and their power to a certain extent. That's how Tolkien set up his universe, and it's the same thing with weapons. So this black arrow has a heritage. It was supposedly, supposedly forged in the the forges of the King under the Mountain and ages long ago, and passed down from father to son. And he he had never missed with it, and he retrieved it every time. I mean, that's you know, we get that that whole backstory in a very tight, compact way in the book. And we still get it, But again, destiny. Away, but we still get like, it.
1: What was this arrow destined for? It's.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Tying in again.
0: Yeah, so uh, they keep all that in there, and, and I really like that. But yeah, the one thing that I really <laughs> made me laugh when I was reading the book and watching the movie, and I hadn't really remembered this from reading it as a kid, is that the reason Lake Town gets destroyed, it's totally Bilbo's fault. Like, 100% Bilbo's yeah, fault. Yeah, it, it, it,
1: it is. It is totally Bilbo's fault. Um, but then again... If the dragon had not attacked Lake Town, who would have slayed the dragon? Like, I love that the dwarves never had a plan for how the dragon was going to die. They never had a plan. They were like, "We'll get to the mountain and we'll just go and we'll just get the treasure. It'll be fine." Here's a burglar. But like, there was no concrete plan of like, who's going to kill the dragon? Are all of us collectively? We never get that. So, it's it. Yeah, I I think it totally works in their favor obviously the dragon is killed by a townsman um right and at at other times there's been fortuitous times where um Bilbo's actions and the dwarves' action have saved people unwittingly. So, in an earlier scene, when they're um, chased up the trees by the goblins and the wargs, they are at their meeting place by accident. But because they're at their meeting place, and the and the wargs and the orcs get distracted by them, they don't go and attack a town that they had planned to go and attack. A town of men. Um, on a, who would be caught unaware right. so they save these men um so you know it's all balancing out i suppose
0: yeah that, that's a good link to that um prior event yeah they're they're having all these adventures along the way they're having kind of a Forrest gump experience right where they're just traversing through middle earth um having all these little adventures and somehow affecting the larger uh narrative and happenings all throughout the world but you know, they don't really realize the impact they're happening, they're having, you know, having exactly.
1: Yeah.
0: But yeah. So, you know, Bilbo, there's, it was not necessarily a foregone conclusion that smog would think that this company of dwarves uh, and this person he was talking to, who he knew was not a dwarf, it's not a foregone conclusion that he would have thought it was from the lake men. You know, he knew it was dwarves. Hobbit was not a scent that he'd ever smelled before. In fact, that was kind of why Gandalf, one of the reasons why Gandalf chose him for this mission is that, well, you know, if you're going to go on a mission of secrecy, uh, Smog is definitely going to be able to smell you dwarves and hear you dwarves. You're going to need someone a little more stealthy and whose scent he won't recognize. And so that's kind of why a hobbit was involved in this adventure in the first place. And so Smog is trying to suss out who is this guy that I'm talking to? Where did he come from? And the only clue he gets is from Bilbo's Overconfident Ramblings, which we talked about earlier, where he kind of lets slip barrel rider and smog to himself realizes you are a lake man. And in the book it's it's more of an inner monologue and inner realization by Smog, but in the movie he says it out loud. And um, you know, he says, Oh, you know, th- you're from I know you're with dwarves, but you must be a lake man and the dwarves must have gotten help from the lake men. And so because of that, and that alone, Smog decides when he issues forth from the mountain to go get revenge and destroy the the lake men and so it's really bilbo's fault i mean who knows maybe smog would have just you know decided to go burn them to the ground anyway but um he definitely I don't know. he's pretty content to was... just
1: like sleep on his treasure but yeah, yeah. bilbo bilbo he probably is would have just sat there part... and looked
0: himself and coughed up another furball if it wasn't for bilbo yeah
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's true bilbo's gonna have to answer i'm surprised that the lake men weren't more angry when they come back to lake town uh, more on that later. But
0: Right, right.
1: Anyway, then the next section here we we kind of the movie flits back to the dwarves. So the the dwarves now party down in the recently vacant mountainside and they are admiring their treasure, their long lost treasure. So they're holding up cups and they're walking through uh this cave and discovering all these jewels this is their heritage this is uh you know what they've come for finally so bilbo guides the dwarves uh back to the entrance where they see an encampment and they're uh, greeted by dale who slew the dragon bard. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry bard why do i keep <laughs> calling him dale
0: <laughs> because dale was the ancient kingdom yeah that he was he was that's, the king of, of that's the what Arab it and, is
1: bard yeah. bard states that the town is destroyed and he asks for some of the help, fortune to help rebuild their town which seems pretty fair
0: pretty reasonable
1: P- pretty reasonable so thorin stubbornly refuses and criticizes him for bringing an army uh the elf king who is green then steps forward (laughs) and reveals his army is also there. Bilbo tries to intervene, stating, this is ridiculous, there's enough to go around! Um, But Bard and the Elven King give Thorin until tomorrow to decide to share the wealth until they attack. Bilbo attempts to persuade Thorin to yield to no avail. Thorin's cousin, Dane appears and declares the dwarves from the Iron Hills will back him, so they will come to his aid. Uh, so this this exchange is really just a, an indictment on Thorin's character. Thorin is not letting go. He's finally come into his kingdom, and he is going to. He's not giving away one iota of that treasure. Um, yeah.
0: I mean, he's depicted as kind of a bit of a prick in the book at this particular juncture, and he is a double prick in the movie. I mean, like any potential justification for him being such a, you know, a jackass to the people who helped him, you know, without whose aid he would never have made it to the mountain in the first place and whose entire town and the lives of many of the townspeople uh, have been lost because of his actions. Uh, He's like, I'm not going to help you at all you know screw you get yeah, lost it's crazy
1: and how again how would they have killed the dragon i don't see these little right, dwarves right. slaying the dragon so they they helped him in his endeavors and yet he's not willing to to give one inch so
0: yeah and Thorne's only explanation is uh oh, it's a matter of principle
1: it's and a matter uh, of principle
0: <laughs> but i so i do i do actually i'm of two minds on this obviously it is the intent of the author. It is Tolkien's intent to depict Thorin as being unreasonable, you know, greedy. The dragon sickness has already started to take hold a little bit, and that's part of the reason why he's going to be so unreasonable. He's he's reneging on his promise to to aid the Lake People, the Lake Men. Um, you know, Thorin's actions are intended to be perceived as um, not honorable, but. You know, if you read this from a slightly different angle, it really starts to look kind of different. Like if you put yourself in more of a Game of Thrones mindset, imagine Thorin. He's one of you know him and his twelve other dwarves plus Bilbo. They're in the mountain. They they have you know recaptured their ancient kingdom, which is theirs by right, and there's a huge treasure in there. But they have no way to defend it. And they did get some aid from the Lake People. The Elves are certainly their enemies. Um, And the next thing that they know. There are two armies at their doorstep and demanding, you know, the lake people are, are demanding uh, aid or they're requesting aid, but while brandishing a sword. And the elves really have no reason to be there, but they're also there in full armor, you know, fully armored and ready to bat- for battle. It does totally make sense in the book. Thorin says, you know, come back and, you know, put your sword away and come back,
1: mm. which is
0: actually... In the book, a totally reasonable request. Yeah, okay, I'll talk to you, but, you know, get your armies off my doorstep uh, and don't come here with, you know, the cloud of this threat hanging over you and hanging over me. I will treat with you, but not at sword point, Mm. which is actually a very sensible and reasonable request. It's actually also a strategically sound maneuver because he's biding time for his cousin Dane to come so they can reinforce the mountain and then be in a better uh, point in terms of... uh, have more leverage and more strength in negotiation. So they can they can dole out aid out of um not out of necessity or out of fear, but because they actually want to. Um but Tolkien kind of skips over that whole strategic part of it and, and just acts like Thorin is supposed to understand that Bard is an honorable person and the fact that he's he's brought his armies to Thorin's doorstep is not a hostile act. Um well it's a classic
1: so it's, I, I like this scene a lot because it's the classic conflict of interests and sovereign nations always battling it out for their best interests and their resources. Tale as old as time, really.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Political. you know, I yeah. And um, so I think Thorne actually probably made the right move in the first instance by telling him to, hey, back off and, and come back and then I'll help you because he he's in a totally weak position. He never could have defended the mountain. Not really. And um, his uh, the entire treasure, the Stone, which isn't in the movie, but which is in the books, um, could have been taken from him and all their adventures could have been for naught. So he had to make a sort of scrappy decision like that. So, I, you know, I'm not hating on Thorin as much as Tolkien wants us to.
1: Hmm. That's a good point. That is, I I do see his perspective and I also think that he's very starkly intentionally contrasting the character of Bilbo with the character of Thorin, um, with Bilbo, you know, desperately trying to get Thorin to consent and give them a portion because there is more than enough. And hoarding wealth is what got them into this, this mess in the first place. You know, the, the amount of wealth is what attracted the dragon in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so once again, you know, uh, this is a message about too much wealth, hoarding wealth, et cetera, et cetera
0: right, right. and you know the the message that the news that smog is dead you know travels rapidly far and wide in middle earth, and so the dwarves know that there are people coming for their gold, you know, whether it's a group like the Lake men who ostensibly are friends and allies um, you know the the elves who we as the readers know we're good, but who the dwarves do not think are good, especially because they were just imprisoned. Uh, and also, you know, the orcs are coming. Uh, and so they know that they are at risk and they have to be careful. And um, so there is for a moment here, a little bit of geopolitical struggle going on. Although that's not really the part that Tolkien focuses on. Well, I think now would be a good time to, to mention the biggest cut in the movie probably, which is no Arkenstone,
1: no Arkenstone. I hate this cut, frankly, um, because Bilbo doesn't get to be the hero in in the, in the a way. I mean, he is in many ways, but this is a really crucial part of the story that Bilbo takes the Arkenstone and he uses it strategically to broker a peace. And he is responsible for ending this conflict and banning everyone together in a way.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I think the Arkenstone plot is important because you know while that moment in the tunnels before he reaches smog is the most important point in his development as a hero and becomes sort of sort of a courageous figure this arkenstone plot is the most important act that he that he does as a hero and it's important because it's a selfless act you know he's he's doing something for the benefit of his friends to save his friends but knowing that his friends will deem him a traitor if he does it And so in that sense, it's a very selfless act because he's doing what he knows is right, even though it could end up badly for him, uh, even with the people that he's going to. You know, the elves and the men might take him hostage and not listen to what he has to say. And it will certainly end up badly in terms of how he is um, treated among his friends, the dwarves. So it's a very selfless and important and courageous act. And, you know, they they cut it. out. And so this is where I was just going to say this is where the geopolitical struggle um, comes into play, but on a more intimate level, you know, Tolkien narrows it down to um, Bilbo's choices. So that's where we see the geopolitical struggle playing out, you know, and how Bilbo's using this artifact, the Arkenstone, to navigate and broker a peace between these these three different powers. Um, but all that's cut out. All that's gone.
1: All that's cut out. We, this is really a crowning achievement of Bilbo's whole journey. I mean, he's come such a long way and it earns him the respect of these different nations. So the elves respect him. The elves, these ancient, wise, powerful people and the men respect him. And all these different players in Middle Earth, um, this little hobbit has garnered attention and respect. and we don't get that as much um, in the end. Yeah. And, and it-, it undermines Thorin's last scene as well, because Thorin is, you know, totally. a- outraged by this, but ultimately f- forgives Bilbo and asks for forgiveness himself. So we don't get that beautiful scene. Um, in its full glory, as a result of this plot point being cut out, which is a, it's a shame.
0: Yeah, they they kind of just restructure it so you know they have they have words when Thorin and the group are preparing for battle, and Bilbo just says this is madness, and you know Thorin says your folk will never understand war. You know you're a coward, or because Bil- yeah, Bilbo says I just hope that I get captured uh, as early as possible. <laughs> <laughs> and Thorin's like those are coward's words and Bilbo's like, you know, a coward that I'm the one who um saved you countless times. I'm the one who always pressed forward when you cringed behind and uh some of that is is taken from the book in a way, but you know, that's not the exchange that Thorin is is apologizing for in the book, but in the movie that's what that's what they turn it into. So instead of the Arkenstone plot Uh, on his deathbed, he just says, "Ah, I'm sorry I called you a coward.
1: Yeah, like, sorry about that. Yeah, (laughs) that's
0: supposed to be really moving to us as an audience, I guess. (laughs) Well, let's um, jump into the the next scene here. Um, So as the dwarves are gearing up for war, um, as you said, Balin reports that an army of dwarves is approaching, Thorne's cousin Dane from the Iron Hills. They're getting reinforced. Uh, And there's actually a really funny (laughs) there's a really funny exchange that we should talk about, but um, all the armies now get together in the field of battle. So as the dwarves elves and men, they all start to advance towards each other. Gandalf appears in the middle of the armies and demands uh, a council with the three various Kings. And he tells them that an army of goblins is attacking from the North to capture all the gold. And at that very moment, in fact, we see uh, swarms of goblins riding wolves over the over the hilltop And they're coming in And so all of a sudden everybody has to change their position Everybody changes their tune And Thorin actually says Oh quote, great elf oh, great king, my truest friend, friend, friend and ally We must join we must our forces against this common course. scourge And the elf king says But of oh, course, so noble, noble king, king under, king, under, the, under mountain. the mountain Your people Your are like, people brothers, are like unto brothers unto mine
1: And my men and all their weapons are as one with yours Together we will vanquish the
0: foe. Together Thorin is correct. I simply do not understand war. And then the three kings literally put their hands in the middle and say in unison, Together. Together. Like, you know. <laughs> like they're breaking out <laughs> of a timeout cheesy. in a basketball game. Um, yeah. And then seeing this, Bilbo says, Yeah, I, I simply don't understand war. He takes off his armor and he just pieces out not going to be a part yeah, he's of this like, battle anymore.
1: out i'm outie. yeah and then he's just like making silly commentary in the background in the movie the yeah. whole time it's so yeah, ridiculous yeah
0: i love that thorin calls him a coward and we're supposed to object to that and bilbo objects to that but then like the second that two seconds get later. a little squirrely bilbo's like yeah i'm not fighting no thanks
1: no i'm not doing <laughs> it yeah <laughs> this is where i draw uh, the line but
0: <laughs> But we see the armies battle it out, and you know this is depicted really, really quickly. And then it cuts to Bilbo, who is just chilling on a rock. And then it cuts to the kings, who lament that they are losing the battle. But then Gandalf tells them that a fifth army, an army of eagles, is on the way. And as the eagles arrive, Bilbo says, quote, enough is enough. And then he puts on his ring to disappear. As if, you know, being on the sidelines wasn't out of the battle enough, he has to go invisible. Uh, and so then the big Eagles basically kick everyone's ass, save the day and the battle ends. We next see Bilbo who is literally reclining on a rock with his hands behind his head with his ring on. He sees bomber collapse nearby. So Bilbo rushes up, takes off his ring. And he says that he was only hit on the head and was out for hours. Uh, Bilbo surveys the many dead on the battlefield and talks to Gandalf and Gandalf reveals that only seven of the original 13 dwarves, and uh, their company are left. That the rest have died and then he takes him to thorin on his deathbed and thorin apologizes for calling him a coward and he says uh, you know this famous this wonderful quote which we used at the top of our last episode he says child of the kindly west i have come to know if more of us valued your ways food and cheer above hoarded gold it would be a merrier world but sad or merry i must leave it now farewell i love that passage yeah, it's a really nice ending. And they they tweak it only so slightly from the book. It's it's almost word for word. And it's really beautiful.
1: Yeah, I mean, this scene is really actually so comical in the movie. It's not very comical in the book. It's warfare. <laughs> um, right. Once again, I think that they wanted to, they were thinking children's movie, children's movie. Let's make this funny and lighthearted. Which I think, I, I don't know. I tend to think the closer to the book the better but i understand why they took that tone instead of like a it's hard to depict a real battle scene first of all um so i do think it's absurd and comical they went a little too far with bilbo being like just sitting on a rock and (laughs) being obstinate (laughs) (laughs) um but i do understand why they why they made the changes they did
0: yeah i mean i you know i think they went a little bit too far with the jokes it almost feels like the uh, whoever wrote the teleplay was kind of going out of their way to satirize some of the subtly silly elements in the the plot. I mean, because it is kind of funny that all these these three armies—dwarves, elves, and men—who are enemies on the battlefield—that they just immediately ally up once they see goblins. And of course, like in, in the context of the legendarium, it makes sense because orcs are just, everyone knows that orcs, goblins are just bad. They're the bad guys. They're always the bad guys, you know? So there no way that the three of them could not ally, but it is, it is a little funny and it almost feels like they satirize it by just these lines where they're really like buttering each other's bread. You know, Thorin's like, you know, um, telling the Elven King, oh, you know, my, elven king brother and the the elven kings like uh your people are like brothers unto mine you know that's a little that's a little bit much you're landing on awfully thick
1: yeah and they also have a historically some tension like there were different times they've been allies and different times they've been um on the same side but many more often than not there's a little bit of a tension between the two so it, it's definitely yeah. cheesy it's definitely over the top um, but it does accomplish what it needs to accomplish. There were five armies. They fought a battle. Uh, the eagle saved the day, which leads us to uh, the return journey. Yeah, and I,
0: yeah, and I, I think before we get there, I, I I think it is important to point out that I don't think this part of the movie or in the this part of the books, you know, which is the chapter title "The Clouds Burst," it's really like one of the less uh, important chapters. It's not, it's not important. It's not really an important part of Bilbo's journey because in the book, it is true that he is taken out of the battle pretty early. Um, he gets hit on the head by a rock or something and he is knocked unconscious. So it is true that he's not a part of the battle. So it's not really an important part of his story. It happens, uh, on the periphery and then, you know, and then he wakes up and then he has an important moment with Thorin, but he's not a part of the battle. Um, so I'm okay with them kind of tweaking it and, and adjusting some of the stuff because it's not a critical part of his story. Uh, you know, I, I do regret that they made him again, more of a coward, you know, because in the book he at least fought, he intended to fight and stand behind his friends. Right. He is um,
1: brave. And especially by this point, he's our brave hero figure. He has yeah. evolved. He's undergone such a transformation.
0: Right. So you know he would have fought to the death in the books, but you know he kind of gets lucky, gets knocked out, and then he's out of the battle. I think someone falls on top of him, and so he's covered and sort of shielded from the rest of the battle. Um, but here in the movie, he's literally just like, "Nope, not doing it, not fighting." Yeah, you know, just and had a commenting fight the whole time. Coward, but.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he can just—he's just kind of a spectator while people are fighting to the death.
0: <laughs> and then he, he, and then he, when he's discovered by bomber bomber comes up he's wounded he falls wounded next to bilbo and so bilbo comes up and says are you okay and bomber says i'm alive you and bilbo says oh just a knock on the head i was out for hours but we know in the movie that he wasn't actually out for hours he's totally lying to his friend who's like yeah. potentially on his deathbed it's, to cover his ass yeah and tis, silly, a
1: tis a silly scene very silly yeah like, uh, prob- so I feel like they got a little lazy. They were like, "Okay, this movie's getting too long, runtime. Like, let's chop, chop, let's cut, <laughs> cut." And <laughs> right, and that's right. why you know they cut out a lot in the return journey. I mean, we th- we mm-hmm. didn't even get Rivendell. No Rivendell on the way home. That's cut out entirely, which I missed a lot actually. Right. Um. Right. So Gandalf and Bilbo make their way back to Hobbiton in the film. Um, It's just Gandalf and Bilbo, and Gandalf observes how little treasure Bilbo's taken back with him. It's all my pony could carry, and it's more than I'll ever need, Bilbo stated. He will keep the ring as a souvenir. He intends to keep it on his mantelpiece. Uh, Gandalf and Bilbo discuss prophecies, which Bilbo scoffs at. Gandalf rebukes him while they're walking. You don't really suppose all your adventures and escapes were managed by mere luck? You are a very fine person, and I'm very fond of you, but you are only quite a little fellow in a very wide world. Oh, Bilbo Baggins, if you only understood that ring, you'd realize this story has not ended, but is only beginning." End scene. So, part of that is taken directly from the book. And then they tacked on the you'd realize if you only understood that ring. That was uh, tacked on. And so I. Okay, this is a very short scene. They just kind of wrapped it up neat in a bow and chucked out the rest. So I really do miss from the book uh, the fact that when he gets... I First of all, I miss Rivendell because we get another wonderful taste of the elves of Rivendell who sing again and they have this really funny exchange between Bilbo and the elves and um, they stay in Rivendell for two weeks recovering and recouping and um, talking about their adventures and that is where Bilbo learns where Gandalf has been so there's no mention here of in the Mm -hmm. movie adaptation where the heck has Gandalf been so we know that Gandalf has been um, dealing with the necromancer and driving him back, and at the white at the uh, council of um, Elrond and others, so we do get that in the book, and I miss that change. I think that's a big change, um, and I also really miss. When Bilbo gets back to Hobbiton, we find out that his items are being auctioned off like the other hobbits have come in and they just assume he's gone forever. He'll need never to be seen again. And they're auctioning off um, his stuff, which he has to actually buy back some of it. And it and people are really uh, put off by him. He's like he's this adventurer, but he's so content and happy to be back um, in the book and in the movie. And so they, they did cut out a lot, but I think runtime demanded that they, they kind of wrap it up. And, um, I think they did a decent job. I like that they did include dialogue straight from the book, um, about fate and luck. That's a really, again, Mm -hmm. theme throughout. So I, I like that they included that piece of dialogue.
0: Yeah, that is, I mean, if they're going to keep anything in, if they're going to cut everything else and keep one thing in, I think it is that quote which really sums up some of the important themes of this tale and, you know, Bilbo's journey. And um, so as long as I kept that in, I was pretty happy. And I understand why they cut out the other stuff. I mean, I would have liked to see Rivendell a little bit more, either by seeing them again at the end or by having a bit of a longer scene at Rivendell in the first place, just because it's a nice Uh, it's a nice place. We could see a little bit more elves, but um, I understand why they cut it. And, you know, frankly not getting to hear where Gandalf was, you know, I don't think it's really important in terms of Bilbo's journey. It's interesting and fun for the reader, but even in the book, it's more of a side note, um, a point of interest. So I understand why they cut that. Um, And, you know, cutting the, the auction scenes back in the Shire. It's, you know, it's kind of like reminiscent of how Peter Jackson had to cut out the scouring of the Shire, which, is an even more difficult cut to stomach but i understand why they did it because you know the from a visual storytelling perspective the story has reached its zenith and all the other stuff it's it's stuff that you can enjoy a little bit more when you're reading a book than i think when you're watching a movie you know otherwise would have had probably an overlong ending. It would it wouldn't have felt right from a visual story, storytelling perspective. So, you know, these are things that I like in the book, but that I think in terms of a visual adaptation, I understand why they had to be cut. And I don't I don't miss them all that much.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. It makes sense in the context of context of this is one film. It's it's a it's children's film and, you know, young audience are going to have a bit of a shorter attention span. Um, although back then maybe they had a longer attention span. We have too much distracting our young ones now. But um, before I go what, off on a diatribe, I, got Wait, <laughs> I just got a text. I got to check my... I got a text. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, all right, let's, uh, let's uh, sum up. What are, Let's do our best changes, worst changes, best song adaptation. These are the things that we want to sort of sum up. So Jen, give me your um, all the changes from the book to the movie that you thought worked out well, that you thought were good changes.
1: Okay. Honestly, I think that the,
0: you got to come up with one, <laughs> at least one, you know, it's hard to stomach any changes, but there's gotta be one. That I
1: know. Good. I know. I'm like, I'm such a purist that, uh, it's, it's tough for me, but I think adapting the poems, even some of the poems that weren't meant to be in song form. Um, I think adapting all of those poems into song form was probably the best change for me. So making sure that all of these um, poems were sung, for me that was that was a really good change. Uh, I like that. I like the music throughout. Um, the worst change for me, I really miss Bayorn. I hope I'm saying his name mm. right, but the character of Bayorn is so important in the book and so interesting. He's this he's this skin changer, so he's able to change from human form to bear form. And he <laughs> yeah, and he's important in in the Battle of Five Armies, but he's also really important in that he um, shelters the dwarves and feeds them and um, attacks you know the goblins on their behalf he helps in the battle of five armies he helps win that war Um, and he's just this really fascinating character like how is he there and he's he's ancient he's very ancient we know that um, in throughout Middle Earth but I just find him fascinating and I just want to see him depicted somewhere because I'm picturing just like this big burly like Foxy dude. Uh Ooh, hairy. Foxy.
0: You you envisioned Bjorn being hairy and foxy. <laughs> that was the
1: wrong that was the wrong descriptor. But I mean, you know, well, like I don't a... think
0: so. I think that was a Freudian slip. I think that, that's
1: what he <laughs> really meant. Yeah, I miss I miss that change and I love the scenes, you know, in his house and the song and he sings. If and... I if
0: I get a hold of your uh um your copy of the Hobbit are is the Bjorn chapter just going to be like really well-worn. It's like been read 10 times more than the other chapters.
1: I mean, in my mind, he's a total thirst trap. So I'm, I'm sad about it.
0: No, I, I'm with you. So I, I should mention that I am drinking. So, uh, you know, to put the party in a watch party tonight, I'm drinking some mead, uh, in honor of our, our man Bjorn, you know, I'm pouring one out for Bjorn getting cut, you know, and mead is, is honey wine. So we know that he likes call.
1: his honey. Yeah, he loves his honey. So that's absolutely the worst cut. I All also... Right, well, so let me, yeah, go ahead.
0: Go ahead. Well, if you got some more bad cuts, I want to hear. Them.
1: No, I mean, I, I do miss in the end, you know, Bilbo in the very last chapter, which I forgot to mention, Bilbo sees Hobbiton, his hill in the distance, and he comes up on the spot with this beautiful poem that ends up being so... Um, profound and I'll just read the very last part is roads go ever on under cloud and under star yet feet that wandering have gone turn at last to home afar eyes that fire and sword have seen and horror in the halls of stone look at last on meadows green and trees and hills they long have known and Gandalf looked at him, "My dear Bilbo," he said, "something is the matter with you. You are not the hobbit that you were." And I just love I that love, it. love that scene, miss that. You know, I think they could have included that in the last chapter. I wish that they would have. I think there was time enough for that that bit of dialogue, but those those are definitely my my top 2.
0: I I agree with you actually. I hadn't thought of that, but that is I mean, you know, the roads go ever on and on, that's to me one of the quintessential poems or songs. It's probably one
1: the of Hobbit. the more recognized in the in the whole legendarium.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's beautiful and it's so token to make the fact that Bilbo's writing this, you know, insightful, beautiful poem, that that is the true mark of his growth. You know, at the end of the story, that's how we mark his, you know, emergence from his childlike state to, you know, more of a, an adult grown up heroic character it's because he can create a beautiful song you know that's such a tolkien thing to do you know all the elves exactly. their beauty is characterized by their song and um and he's, that's such a beautiful tolkien,
1: yeah and he's uh, derived absolute. meaning from these experiences and new appreciation for what he has because of what he's seen in the wider world and so he's able to come back and and just have this newfound love and joy and appreciation and turn these experiences into um profound reflections and art so I
0: yeah you've you convinced me that's going on my list of of worst cuts that should have stayed in absolutely
1: All right, give me your your best and worst
0: alright so best change actually my best change I think matches up with with yours so you said um, you liked how they converted some of the poems into songs Um, I liked how they turned one of the riddles in the riddle game with Gollum into this ethereal song sung by by a disembodied voice
1: Cannot be it
0: cannot be seen, cannot be found. It's <laughs> Creeping me out. And I know you didn't like that. I know that didn't do it for that particular example, didn't do it for you, but I, I thought it kind of worked. It was a way to, to work in another riddle. Which it might have gotten a little bit slow if they just done riddle, riddle, riddle. No,
1: and, no, and... no. I, I totally disagree, but I will let you have your thoughts and feelings <laughs> all out. I think it confused the viewer, you know. They're like, wait, what's happening? Are they still riddling? And there's ways to make that scene interesting, like make Gollum yeah. move around, make him kind of chase him, have them interact physically, you know. I think there were a lot of other ways, but... But you know what? We agreed to disagree. It was bound to happen on the podcast, Michael. It had to happen one time.
0: <laughs> Put it in the books. Put it in the books. On the third episode. You know, we, 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 got, we got pretty, pretty far, far before we really dis- disagreed. <laughs> well, and just the melody of that theme that you just sang. I mean sing it again. It's, it's haunting.
1: It cannot be seen, cannot be felt. Can and I don't remember the rest.
0: Oh, how can you how can you not love that? It's, that, it's
1: kinda eerie.
0: Yeah, it's it's eerie. Um, but so I actually like that one. Worst changes, um, you know. I mentioned this at the top of the last episode. I didn't like that Bilbo starts the journey by going with them willingly. I think that that misaligns his character arc. You know, it's important that he start as being a sort of an unwilling participant who's been pushed into it by Gandalf, um, because then his growth into a courageous hero is more significant. That's an important part of the hero's journey that he start at by not being a willing hero. Um, so I didn't like that. They changed that. I, I t- didn't like that. He just quits on the battle, like a huge punk. I mean, you know, I, I can stomach his hobbitiness, but I do not like that. They made him a legitimate coward, especially after he just argued with Thorin about being a coward Didn't need to do that. I totally agree. Um,
1: That is a really egregious, a really egregious change. Yes.
0: And, um, you know, the the third one, which I'm not, there's a reason it's number three on my list. No Arkenstone. I do miss it. I think it's an important cut. I I wish they hadn't cut it, but it doesn't feel as bad as say, um, you know, cutting out that last, the the last scene that you just described where he's reading this poem and Gandalf is remarking on how he's not the same Hobbit he was. That to me feels like a more important scene that I wish I'd kept in than the Arkansas. Even though the Arkansas feels like a driving narrative plot point, and certainly Peter Jackson turns it into the, the you know, the the crux of the whole narrative. I mean it's
1: way overblown movie. in those, but we'll get to way that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I you know, it even though it's like important somehow it doesn't feel that offensive, not as offensive as some of the other stuff. So it's on my list, but I I go back and forth about it. It doesn't feel as bad to me.
1: Yeah. Agreed. I have to agree overall.
0: All right. Well, we're both musicians, so we're saving the most important question for last. Best song adaptation.
1: Uh, You know, I think for me, the best song adaptation is sung by the elves uh, when they're approaching. The dwarves are approaching Rivendell, and the basically the elves are singing. Oh, what are you doing? And where are you going? Your ponies need shoeing. Something like that. I'm not getting the melody exactly right. But um. It's, it's basically a very lighthearted and joyful song and the elves are singing it and it's very catchy and I think it captures the spirit of the song and um, I, I, I just enjoyed it. I just think it's it was fun and it was a great way to move the plot along um, without spending too much time to have it in that song form uh, while, while there's action happening behind it. So I, I think that was my favorite um, song adaptation—just a catchy melody, lighthearted strings abound, etc.
0: Well, this is a record-breaking episode because we have not one disagreement, but two disagreements. That is, in fact, my least favorite song adaptation. Oh <laughs> and I think it's actually more a, a function of the fact that I I don't love the way the elves are depicted in The Hobbit, even in the book. Um, it just you know. They're too silly. It's not, those aren't the elves that I love. So I I never really get that down on the the elves in The Hobbit. So um, that might be coloring. I don't think they're
1: silly. I think they're clever and playful.
0: I think, I think they're, they're clever and clever. playful. It's, it's silliness, man. It's it's good for kids. What's it's wrong with that?
1: You can be dignified and silly. I think this is just a problem of you not being able to hold that they are just dynamic beings. I mean, all right, <laughs> How, are you familiar with On Fairy Stories? Tolkien's. If you're, if if listeners out there have not read On Fairy Stories, Tolkien. Tolkien's essay on fairy, that is a really foundational piece of literature. And it gets to the characters of elves and fairies, as they're called, um oh, in general. And they are dynamic and mysterious and playful, yet wise. Like they're they're all different things.
0: I don't know. I don't know. That <laughs> still doesn't this work for gonna... you.
1: I'm not gonna win this one.
0: <laughs> well, I could I could be convinced. The thing is just I I haven't seen Th- this type of depiction in any of the other extended works. Like, I don't get this in the Silmarillion or the Lord of the Rings. Now, I I could, you know, if I really stretch my imagination, squint real hard and turn my head to the side, I could see how having that sort of loopy, silly, playful aspect of their character contribute to their more mysterious quality. I could I could get into that, and I could actually, I might enjoy seeing some adaptation really try and accomplish we that. We have yet to see um,
1: one that's accomplished that. That's the truth. We, right. There is none right. that's been achieved. We, I think that nobody has achieved Tolkien's true imagining of, of elves to date.
0: You you know what? You were so right. I hadn't thought about that too deeply before. But, you know, in The Lord of the Rings, of course, the elves are already fading. They're, so they're not primary actors. I mean, you know, it's really the first stage. And to a lesser extent, the second age where the elves are the primary players and where their true story is, is told. And um, so in the third age, we really don't get to see elves in their full glory. Of course, we see some great stuff with Galadriel and some great stuff with Elrond, but um, we're, we're not getting really the elves story. We're getting other folks story in which elves play a part. Um, and so we really haven't had an opportunity to see elves depicted in their their full mysterious beauty. Um, And I wonder if maybe we might get that in this Amazon Prime show.
1: We're hoping and praying, folks. Hoping and praying.
0: So um, I guess I'll give you my favorite song adaptation. And I have a feeling that, uh, well, we'll just see how you react. My favorite song adaptation is Down Down the Goblin Town.
1: It works. It's not my favorite, but I, I think it actually fits really well. It's like a catchy tune. Um I think it's it's dark. It's got some minor chords in there. I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's in line with the character of the goblins. And um yeah, I I, I like it. I, I agree with you there. It's
0: energetic. It's it's yeah. dangerous. You know, it gets your blood pumping. I mean it's a banger. Let's just say it's a it's banger.
1: A banger you know? <laughs> we got a banger. <laughs> oh stay tuned for the album. Our our album in which <laughs> Michael and I cover all the songs from the Hobbit.
0: An album full of bangers.
1: An album full of bangers. <laughs> uh, uh.
0: Okay, well I think I think we've done it, Jen. I think uh, we should probably call it call it an episode. I think we're gonna call it movie. an episode. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm so glad to have gone back and watched it. It was a lot of fun um, to sort of re-experience it, see if, you know see if it held up see if the things that i loved as a kid were still things that i loved as an adult and i'm really glad i got to talk about it with you
1: yeah likewise this was a blast it was a walk down memory lane and it was a great opportunity to reread the hobbit again and stay tuned we have so much more to come Uh, michael's gonna tease our episode for next week which we're pretty excited about
0: yeah stay tuned we're gonna be getting right back into the rumor mill talking more about the amazon prime show um you know the specul we're we're pulling into speculation station okay we're we're hopping on on the train yeah and um we're going to be focusing on the blue wizards so true tolkien fans will know that the blue wizards are enigmatic unknown a mystery and they might just be making an appearance so we're going to be talking all about them we're going to be going helms deep into the blue wizards next week so come back check it out stay tuned
1: well farewell friends And may the wind under your wings bear you where the sun sails and the moon walks. Until next time. Rematch.
0: Rematch. 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 All right.
1: We're having a rematch because last time. Um, this guy over here pulled from the wider legendarium and I thought we were just going Hobbit because we had just read the Hobbit. So he cheated. He cheated. (laughs) In other words, he's tricksy.
0: If if Bilbo could win the riddle game by asking a question and not asking a riddle, I can win that way. Okay. It's not cheating.
1: Okay. Well, he's going to try to hit me with some Hobbit questions and I'm going to do my damnedest folks
0: okay all right let's do it so let's we'll we'll start up with a warm-up question all right what so the skin changer Bjorn as the dwarves approach his dwelling they walk through his fields he's a bit of a farmer of sorts what does he cultivate
1: corn oh Oh, no what is it he has bees Oh.
0: Okay. I'm, I'm going to give it to you because that's right. He's got a, a basically a bee farm. He has a bunch of bees um, and cultivates bees. But you,
1: I thought I was thinking of crops. Crops. Like, what is he farming?
0: Yeah. That was probably a misleading Yeah. Uh, I knew he had question.
1: bees. I knew he had. Be- okay. But I
0: said cultivate. I, so I actually thought I was thought thinking about, about to use
1: growing. In. Okay. All right. See, okay. yeah, it's a, you're tricky. You're a tricky one. All right. But you, all right. Give me you, the next one. No,
0: you get that one. You get that okay, one. Okay. All right. I, I think you get I'll that one. I'll take it. Okay, so, all right, in the Battle of the Five Armies, in the book, name the five armies being referred to.
1: Oh, my gosh. Okay, the Dane, the cousin of, um, you know, all the dwarves, the iron, the dwarves in the Iron Mountains, that's one. Mm-hmm. Um, and you
0: don't need to name the, the individual actors, but just like the, the races.
1: Okay, the elves mm-hmm. are there. The men are there of Lake Town the eagles yep. and of course our our band of dwarves and the oh the orcs and the the orcs and the goblins and stuff yeah
0: and what I tricked you
1: you tricked me that
0: see that would be a correct answer if i had asked you who were the five armies in the movie
1: oh no in
0: the in the book, the designated five armies are the goblins and the wargs on one side. Oh my gosh, two we're splitting armies. hairs here, And then people. the men, dwarves, and elves <laughs> oh on the other side. God. The eagles are not considered a separate <laughs> army.
1: Splitting hairs. <laughs> all right. Just, just a little change. I got to redeem myself. Time to redeem myself. Hit me with okay, the third right. question.
0: Okay, I have a hunch you're going to get this one. In the battle of the five armies... Bolg, the leader of the goblins, was slain. Who was he slain by?
1: Thor and Oakenshield. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't pay attention to the battle scenes.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm trying,
1: I know, you're trying to throw me softballs, but it's all I thought the for sure you content. get this because
0: you talked about it. You talked oh, about it when we were talking about the battle. Bjorn oh, comes in. Of
1: course. Oh,
0: and he just my man, my main
1: man, Bjorn. My, yeah, your heart, <laughs> my throb, big burly you know? heart throb. Shoot, day He's doing
0: the thing that gets you stevie. All I right, mean, he was just,
1: now he... I feel like my questions are too easy. I'm giving you softballs and you're giving me curveballs, left, right, and center. <laughs> All right, Michael, buckle up. Um, <clears throat> right. talk it to me. What word reminds Gollum of his grandmother in the scene "Riddles in the Dark"?
0: Oh, what specific word? Oh, boy. So I remember it was when he was thinking about... Uh, it's when he's answering the riddle for eggs. I mean, so I get... You got it. So I know it's, it's eggs. It's, it's the eggs. The word egg. Yeah, is you word, got it. Okay. All right. All right.
1: Ding, ding. Okay.
0: Boy, I was sweating there a little bit. I was sweating like Gollum trying to think of eggs. <laughs>
1: Specifically is it that tries to auction Bilbo's estate when he arrives back in Hobbiton?
0: Oh, um. Mm. Who's his cousin? Who is who is how can I not know this? It's it's his squirrely cousin who's stealing the silver. Uh and it's not Belladonna Took, because that's his mother. That's his mother. It's, I'm not going to get it. I don't know. I know who it is. I think I know who it is, but I don't remember her name.
1: The Saxville Bagginses.
0: Oh, that's, yep, that's it. Watho uh, and, what's her name? I don't know. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to look. We'll this look up. it it's up. Gonna be nice. Stay
1: That's tuned nice. for the next. Right. The next fact check. You- okay. <laughs> now I finally stumped you. Ah-hem. All right. Who wields the sword called Foe Hammer?
0: Okay. Which one is it? It's Orcrist and Glamdring. I think it's Orcrist Goblin Cleaver and Glamdring mm-hmm. the Foe Hammer. Yeah, it's Glamdring. So. Gandalf wields glamour. Ding
1: ding, ding 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 ding. You right, yes. you are. <laughs> well, that was fun. I feel like, you know, we've done the Hobbit proud. Hopefully, people feel that way. And there's definitely more to come when it pertains to the Hobbit. Can,
0: can I give you another one? This this one. Oh no, another
1: one. <laughs> no, but I don't want I another one.
0: <laughs> I didn't bring up this change in the episode proper, and I, I got to mention it. Okay, so in in the movie, seven dwarves died. So when Bilbo says, how many are still living? And Gandalf says, uh, only seven are still living. It's soon to be six because Thorin <laughs> dies. So seven dwarves die in the movie. How many of the dwarves from the original company actually died in the book?
1: Seven. Yeah. I don't know. No, it's
0: actually they actually change it significantly and for no good reason. Only three dwarves die in the book.
1: Oh, I thought it was seven. Thorin
0: dies, and Feely and Keeley died protecting him. So it's just the it's three. It's just again.
1: the three. Okay, I thought mm-hmm. I thought that was a trick question. I thought you were like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you trust me so little, Jen? You just think I'm trying to slide one by you. <laughs>
1: oh gosh well that was that was a rousing trivia game once again we may have to play trivia once a week just keep each other on our toes I don't know I
0: know it's pretty fun it's pretty fun (laughs) well once we start getting into the wider legendarium I think the subject matter is going to get way too broad get ready no one's going to get anything right
1: get ready everybody (laughs) it's going to be a wild time
0: all right well I'll see you next week Jen
1: I'll see you next week